You're listening to Shalise's Podcast. Well, Father, I thank you for this final episode in the Real Antichrist podcast series. And I thank you, Father, that this podcast topic has been something that is near and dear uh, in your heart, Father. I thank you that you do not want us to be ignorant, Father. You don't want us to be ignorant of the truth. You don't want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. You don't want us to be ignorant of the times that we are living in, Father. Thank you that you want us to know the truth. You want us to have revelation of the truth, the kind of revelation that sets us free. And I thank you, Father, that this podcast is doing just that. Thank you that it is setting us free from fear. It's setting us free from error. It is setting us free to experience the fullness of the victory of Jesus Christ, to understand who we are in Christ, that as Jesus is, so are we in this world, Father, that there is nothing to fear, that Jesus is seated far above principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, Father, that you have a a plan for victory in mind, Father, that of the increase of Jesus's government, there is no end, that nothing can defeat uh, love, nothing can defeat uh, the victory that Jesus has already accomplished. And Father, I just pray that as we dive into this last episode today, Father, that people will be encouraged, people will be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, that they will know the hope of their calling, and that, Father, they will be empowered, Father, to preach the gospel with signs and wonders following, but also, Father, that they will be empowered to love the way that you love to love you, to love themselves, to love others, Father, because we have first been loved and that, Father, love never fails. And so that means, Father, that as we grow in love, as we grow in our union with you, as we grow in our union with one another, Father, that the world will know that Jesus is the Christ and the victory that he's already accomplished will be manifested here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, awesome, you guys. We have covered a lot of ground so far in this podcast uh, series. So if you have not listened to episode one uh, and two in this series, definitely take a listen. Uh, I believe episode three is coming out this week. And then, of course, you're here today if you're listening this live or watching this live in the Path to Purpose group, which, by the way, if you are not, if you're listening to this on the podcast, make sure that you have joined the Path to Purpose group so that you can get the early release of these uh, podcasts and you can even see the videos of them. So anyway, uh, let's kick off today with a review of the scriptures that the Apostle John talks about uh, that uh, reference the term Antichrist. Uh, you know, there is a lot of uh, theology, a lot of doctrine out there that has uh, been taught from all kinds of pulpits and all kinds of, you know, means uh, that have really elevated this idea that there's this future antichrist that's going to come this one you know one world ru uh, ruler that's going to rule the world that's going to uh, in many places and many teachings it talks about you know this great tribulation that's coming and then you know a lot of us that's the only view that we've ever been taught of eschatology it's the only view that we've been taught of the end times and you know one of the things that i i really talked about in the first episode of this podcast is that we need to become 
students of scripture ourselves. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, and we need to also investigate alternative views. We, uh, I didn't talk a ton about eschatology in this podcast on purpose because my goodness, it's such a big, broad topic. And really what I wanted to do is focus in on what the actual scriptures taught about the uh, the Antichrist rather than go off into a lot of speculation based upon other people's interpretation of the book of Revelation and all of these other things that we could have, you know, you know, got off on. Uh, but I really wanted to focus in on that because um, when you read the scriptures that the Apostle John talks about, when he talks about the Antichrist, it's actually pretty clear what he's speaking about. And if you will grab those scriptures, well, then you'll have a lot more understanding of what the Antichrist is than a lot of other people that have blown it up to mean a lot of things that, frankly, the scriptures aren't clear about saying. And it takes some really clever interpretation of scripture uh, and a lot of um, misinformation about history to actually draw those conclusions. So um, that was kind of what we talked about at the beginning. We talked about being free to study these uh, these scriptures out yourself, to really question the things that you've been taught, and to read alternative views. But let's kick off today's uh, episode by reviewing the places in scripture that the Antichrist actually is mentioned. Okay, there's only four of them. Uh, and I have them kind of grouped together here. There's two uh, places in one in the uh, first. All of them are in First John. Uh, the first place that it's mentioned is in First John 2. And I'm going to read this uh, starting in verse 18 and reading through verse 23. Here's what it says. It says, dear, dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So if they, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So, you know, in just a quick review of what I've talked about already, we talked about the idea that the last hour was happening when the Apostle John was alive and writing this letter. And we talked about that scripturally, uh, when we read about the last hour in the New Testament, that really what it's referring to is the last hour of the Old Covenant. That the Old Covenant was an age that was coming to an end because of Jesus and, and his fulfillment of the Old Covenant. But it was also a time when uh, the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem was going to be taking place, which happened in 70 AD. So uh, in the New Testament, sometimes we don't realize that there were two systems. The old and the new covenant were both in operation. There was the sacrificial temple system. And of course, there was the new covenant, which was the church. And so you need to understand a little bit of the history to understand what was actually going on and what was being referred to when the Apostle John talked about the last hour. 
He also talks about the, the fact that many antichrists had already come and that it, they were going to continue to come. And what was what is the definition of the antichrist? It's the antichrist is a person who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that a person who does, denies that Jesus is is the savior of the world, that Jesus is who he says he is. Okay, so that's a really simple definition of what the Antichrist is. It's a spirit of error. It's a uh, any teaching that denies that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is fully man, that he is fully God, that the incarnation happened, that Jesus came in the flesh. It's why when we test the spirits, whenever we are uh, coming and opposing uh, a, a, a spiritual force of darkness, we can discern that by testing it and asking, do you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? And if a spirit or a voice in your head or a teaching or anything else denies that Jesus Christ is Lord, know that a spirit of error is an operation and that it is anti-Christ. It is anti-Jesus. It's against Jesus. It's against the gospel. It's against the truth. Okay. It's actually pretty simple. The second place that I wanted to cover here um, are the next two scriptures and they are in 1 John 4, verse 1 and 2. And it says, dear friends, talking about testing the spirits, it says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit, the spirit behind a teaching, the spirit behind a person, in other words, to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So this Antichrist spirit is a spirit that operates in the world. And here the Apostle John is talking about that just not to believe every spirit. Don't believe the spirit behind everything that we hear. That if there, if, if any spirit is, is saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh, then it's not of God. It's not of Jesus. We talked about Gnosticism. We talked about the uh, the uh, heresy of Gnosticism in the early church and how uh, Gnosticism had creeped in to basically say that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Why? Because anything that was the flesh, anything that was material was considered evil, that the spiritual realm was good, that the material realm was evil, and that that was an error because the, the idea was is that Jesus could not have had a body because bodies are evil. Human bodies are are fallen. They are evil. And so Jesus, uh, John is also addressing that heresy and that false teaching and, and that was happening in the church in the early days. And Gnosticism is still very much alive in our modern times. Uh, it shows up in religious ideas that, you know, when we're doing something that's religious, we're reading our Bibles, we're, we're doing uh, spiritual activities that we're being holy. But when we are, you know, watching our kids at a baseball game or going out to dinner with friends, that that's carnal, that that's material, that that's not, that's not spiritual. And the truth is, is that Jesus has reconciled all things to himself. And so there is nothing that is apart from Christ anymore. There's no more sec sacred. There's no more secular. It's just we live and move and have our being in God. Everything has been reconciled. So those are a couple of the topics that we've talked about. We also talked about the authority of Jesus. We talked about that there is 
that we should never uh, entertain anything that exalts itself against Jesus Christ. We talked about the authority of Jesus. We talked about how he has been given a name that is above every name. That Jesus, when he ascended, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he is now far above all power, all principality, all rulers. That that. In him, all things were created and they exist for him, it says in Colossians chapter 1. And so we just really did a, a deep dive into the exaltation of the authority and the power and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then we dived into signs and wonders and we talked about um, testing the spirits. Yes, we talked about uh, the scripture where Peter actually, you know, blurts out when Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? That, that Peter had a revelation from the Father and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, you know, Jesus said, you know, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, Peter, but my father, which is in heaven. And then when you keep reading a little further in that passage, next thing you know, Jesus is now rebuking Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan, because he's opposing the plan of God for Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus tells him, you are seeking the things of men and not the things of God. So here is Peter in one second getting revelation from the Father that Jesus is the Messiah, and then all of a sudden opposing God and the plans of God. And so the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of God were operating in Peter. Peter, you guys, like that is such a revelation that any of us can operate in, you know, the so-called antichrist spirit whenever we are denying the, the, the will of God, the kingdom of God, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so this isn't just a single person that's going to rise up like the antichrist. It is a spirit that denies the gospel, that denies who Jesus is, that denies the power of the gospel, the lordship and the victory of Jesus. And so we just need to be aware of that in our own lives. Now, today, I wanted to wrap it up and I wanted to talk about um, this very, very important aspect of all of this, because when you talk about the authority of Jesus and when you talk about signs and wonders and you look around at the status of the church sometimes, or you look around and see the, the, the evil things that are going on in the world, it is really easy to develop this cynical, critical, almost angry uh, response to what's happening in the world. And I get it. I get it. I talked about, you know, whenever the enemy you know, seems to win a battle, right? And I talked about even the loss of a team member that we had recently that went to be with the Lord um, prematurely, uh, early, did not finish her course, right? It's easy to get angry. It's easy to get motivated by those things. And we should, we should not reduce our theology down to our experience. Rather, we should continue to raise our experience to the level of the truth. But in preparing for this final episode, what I really felt like we would, would land the plane well where we really wanted to go is we wanted to bring it down, in my opinion, to the essence of it all. And the essence of it all, you guys, is love. Okay? Love is who Jesus Christ is. In Romans chapter 8, it says that we are, we are, we are, we've been predestined and that we are destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And if we want to really oppose the Antichrist spirit, then the only way to do that is to operate in the nature and the character of Jesus Christ, which is love. And I will tell you, when the church is known for its love, 
when we are operating in love, then that is when the Antichrist spirit will ultimately not have any power. Uh, you guys, so many times we, 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 we are known in, in Christian in the Christian world, we are known as Christians for what we are against rather than what we are for. And I think if we are really honest, a lot of times we, we, we are, we're known, we're anti-abortion, we're anti-LBGTQ, we're anti uh, whatever social issue that that is a political issue, right? Like we're known almost more for our politics and what we're against than what we are for. And not only that, but we many times have a powerless church that is not preaching the gospel with signs and wonders following. And we have a church that hasn't been equipped to operate in the supernatural and preach the good news of the gospel by healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out devils, cleansing the lepers. You know, in our age, we don't necessarily have lepers, but we do have the cleansing of people that are considered outcasts. We have this, this, uh, reputation of being judgmental, right? We have a, we have a, a reputation of pointing out others people's sin or even, even ha operating in a self-righteousness that says, oh, we, we love the people, but we hate the sin. And what ends up, what ends up happening when we take those stances is that we somehow have some kind of uh, self-righteousness, that we're better than other people, that we're judging other people because we look to their sin and, and, and in, the, in the process of, of focusing on what's wrong with other people and the things that they are doing wrong, we end up acting very prideful and we don't even see that there's a big fat log in our own eye. And instead of focusing on our own repentance and our own transfiguration and recognizing that only Jesus has the, uh, it, it has the authority to judge, and guess what? He doesn't judge. Judge. He told the woman, you know, that was caught in adultery, right? Women, woman, where is your accusers? Why? Because there was no one qualified to accuse her or pick up a stone. And Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. So the one that was that, that, that could judge us has judged us innocent. He has taken on the sins of the whole world into his body, was crucified by sinners, right? And said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He held the ones that crucified him as innocent of their own sins because they didn't know what they were doing. And so all of these things that the church is known for, anti this, anti that, is really in very many ways, you guys, anti-Christ because it is anti-love. And I know that this is a, uh, a sometimes hard message to hear because we do get angry about the injustice. We do get angry about the policies that are, that are happening in our government. We do get, we get angry about, um, uh, the things that, 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 that whatever, whatever it is that we get angry about, right? Because we see the evil that is, is surrounding us. But God has a strategy to overcome evil. And the, the strategy is to overcome evil with good. The strategy is not to be anti. It's to be, uh, uh, the people that are sent to heal the brokenhearted. It's the people to, uh, to stand on the, the, to, to visit the prisoners, to visit the people that are in bondage and to actually be an instrument of healing in the world rather than an instrument of judgment in the world. And so if you really want to know what, what the Antichrist is, it's anti-joy. It's anti-patience. 
It's anti-gentleness. It's anti-faith. It's anti the fruit of the spirit. It's anti the gifts of the spirit. It's anti the manifestation of the fullness of who Jesus Christ is in our everyday lives. You know, if Peter can one minute operate from revelation from God and then one minute be used as an instrument of evil against the plans of God, and he was with Jesus, you know, in his earthly ministry, well, how much more do we need to be careful, right? It says that we need to restore those who are in sin with gentleness, being very careful lest we fall, lest we stumble. And so there's a humility that the church really needs to uh, receive from the Holy Spirit. Spirit. You know, Jesus was meek. What does that mean? It was power under the submission of the Holy Spirit. It means that he, even though he was all powerful in the fact that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, he routinely refused to um, attack his enemies, right? He, 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 when, when, when they were, when the disciples were wanting to call down fire on the unrepentant city, right? Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're operating out of. And so Jesus was moved by compassion. He was moved by compassion for people that were trapped in the darkness, right? The God of this world has blinded the minds of people that do not believe the gospel, that people that don't know the gospel. And the truth is, beloved, that we have a large majority of the body of Christ who hasn't even been taught the gospel, that hasn't been taught their true identity in Christ, that hasn't been healed from their own trauma, that hasn't been healed from the things that have wounded them. And so... Um, what we do is we end up projecting on others and projecting on the world um, our anger and our judgment and our hatred rather than being an instrument of love, an instrument of healing, and being people that accurately represent the heart of the Father. You know, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if we are destined to grow into the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ, then we are destined to grow into the perfect image of his love. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's a very powerful uh, scripture. I mean, the power of God is not optional, but the love of God is the higher way. The lover, the, the power of God with the love of God operating in the love of God. Faith works by love. That love is what undergirds the, the, the church. Love is what undergirds our lives. Love is the core of who we are. And so if we really want to be anti antichrist, right, then we need to be anti anything that is not expressing the love of God. So let me read First uh, Corinthians 13 in the context of this teaching. And I know this is a scripture that that we that we know that we read, uh, you know, we hear it at weddings, that kind of thing. But but I want to read it again to us today in the context of talking about the real antichrist. It says this in verse one, it says, though I speak with the tongues of men of angels, and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And beloved, I, I don't mean to judge the church. I mean, with I am part of the church. So if this is a judgment against the church, it's a judgment against me as well. But I sometimes feel like that in modern times, especially here in America, that our message has become like a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal, meaning that people aren't even able to hear us anymore, that 
the message that we're preaching, the lives that we're demonstrating are not drawing sinners into our company like they did. I mean, the religious people were repelled by Jesus and it was the sinners that ran, right? Ran to Jesus. And if that's not the fruit of the gospel that we're preaching, then something is off and it is repulsive to the hear. It is annoying to the hear. It is, it's, it's noise. And it's the kind of noise that makes you want to cover your ears. You cannot hear it. You won't hear it. Why? Because people inherently know if they're loved or not. Uh, they inherently feel whether they are accepted or not. And that the love of God and the acceptance of God is is what draws people to Jesus, right? It says that his goodness draws people to repentance. His kindness draws people to repentance. It's grace that saves us. It's not of ourselves. It's not because we're holy. It's not, we don't get to, we don't get to feel superior to other people because of the revelation that we have of Jesus that was given to us as a free gift, okay? In verse two, it says, even though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith, I have faith that could move mountains, right? But if I don't have love, I am nothing. It says, for though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, meaning I'm a martyr even, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long, and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Oh my goodness. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, means it, it, it bears under persecution, meaning that it, 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 it doesn't get offended. It's not easily offended. It doesn't retaliate, right? It says it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. You know, if I read this in the Amplified version, which I think I'll just go ahead and do really quick. Uh, let me do it in the Amplified Classic. Let me just read this. Um, it says, love never fails. It never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Verse four, love endures long and it is patient and kind. Love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious, nor does it display itself haughtily. Uh, it is not conceited, arrogant, or inflated with pride. It's not rude. Oh my goodness. What if we just meditated on that for a year? Have you been on social media? My goodness, Christians can be so rude. Unmannerly, okay? It does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights. Oh my goodness, what if we just meditated on that? I mean, how many times do we, we feel justified in trying to get our rights rather than laying down our lives for our friends and our brothers and our sisters who necessarily don't even know Jesus yet? It says it's not self-seeking. It's not touchy. It's not fretful. It's not resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. In other places, it says it keeps no record of wrong. And, and another another reference here, it says it does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. So um, let's just, um, let me go back here to the other uh, version here. And let me keep reading, uh, which was the new King James Version. It says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect it has come, that which is in part will be done away. 
When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but I shall know just as I am known. Now abide faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And then I'm just going to continue with uh, verse 14 in the first verse. Because remember, there weren't chapters in this original letter. It says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Okay, I'm going to read that in the Passion Translation. Uh, it says, "It's good that you. It's good that you are in fast, in, in enthusiastic and passionate about spiritual gifts." Okay, there's another one. I'm trying to remember where it is. Um, this is the one I wanted to read in the Message Translation. It says, "Go after a life of love, as if your life depended on it." And so. I guess I wanted to wrap up today with this idea that, you know, when we are children, uh, you know, we, we have childish things, but when we grow up and when we mature, and I want to say into the fullness of the stature of Jesus, as we are conformed into the image of Jesus, right, that our lives should reflect more and more and more the love of God. It means that we begin to drop the judgment. And what, what do I mean by dropping the judgment? Meaning we give up the right to be judge of good and evil. Meaning, see, where judgment exists, love can't exist, right? Judgment is something that is not a part of the kingdom of God. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is where we become the judge of good and evil rather than leaving the judgment of good and evil to the only one that truly knows the hearts of men that knows why people do what people, why they do what they do, that understands the motives and the intents of, of a person's heart that understands what what um, shaped them into the person that they are today? You know, it, it's very easy to sit in a in a in a judgment seat with someone, but not wa have walked in their shoes and not understand the way their brokenness formed them. And we get concerned about the letter of the law and whether they're acting right and acting wrong, rather than healing hearts and understanding that Jesus. Uh, receives people right where they are. He, he, while we were still sinners, he died for us. He extended his life for us. He paid the ultimate price. He, 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 he showed you that life dies for people that don't, I mean, God dies for people that don't deserve it, that don't even understand they're in darkness, that don't even know why they're, you know, they don't know up from down. And so judgment is, 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 is just not a part of who we have been recreated in Christ to be. Uh, the tree of life, on the other hand, um, lives in union with Jesus and exemplifies the character and the heart of God. And yes, preaches the gospel out of a motive of caring for people, gets involved in people's lives, right? No, gets involved in people's lives that are uh, bound by destructive behaviors and things that are hurting them and hurting other people. And so today I wanted to just encourage us guys that love is the more excellent way that God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And it is an upside down kingdom. And Jesus is really an interesting guy in the sense that we can't nail him down to like these principles of how he would act in certain situations. No, because the one thing we know about Jesus is that he's always standing on the side of, of the oppressed. He's always standing on the side of the accused, okay? Because the accused is what is who has been declared innocent. 
He is the Holy Spirit is an advocate, right? The Holy Spirit is convicting people of sin, not to condemn them, but to redeem them and say, that is not who you are. You have been recreated in Christ. You were in Christ when he was crucified, that, that, that the entire human race was crucified with Jesus. People don't know who they are. And how can they know who they are unless they are told? And how can they believe what they are told unless the Lord is working with us, confirming our gospel with signs and wonders following? Why does God want us to heal the sick? Because he loves people. Why does God want us to cast out the devil? Why does he want us to heal people? Why does he want us to come alongside hurting and broken people? Because he loves them. Because he has died for them, right? And it's not with a motive to get them to act right. Because you can have good behavior and have a heart that is completely dark. We know that by the way that the Pharisees acted, right? It's not about some behavior modification. It's about a regeneration of the human heart. It's about transfiguration. It's about the revealing of Christ in those that don't even believe in Christ, right? The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians, that it pleased the Lord to reveal Christ in him. Let's go over there to Galatians chapter 1. In verse 11, he says, But I make it known to you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism many beyond, beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my father's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. So we see here that it's the grace of God that called Paul, that calls us, that has separated us from our mother's womb. And here is the gospel that the apostle Paul preached, that the Holy Spirit revealed his son in me. Okay, The apostle Paul had a revelation that Christ was in him. And that grace is what transformed the apostle Paul. That when people begin to understand that Christ lives in them, that Christ is in them, guess what? They start to recognize that they are not a sinner any longer by nature, but that old nature of sin was crucified by Jesus. Okay, then all of a sudden transformation and transfiguration starts to happen. And anything that opposes the revealing of Jesus in people is anti-Christ. Anything that puts people under the bondage of rules and, and a, a form of godliness that denies the power of the gospel, meaning they have right behavior. There's a self-righteousness to them. They are good uh, people uh, in and of themselves, right? Who sit in the judgment seat of other bad people, right? This is antichrist. You guys, this is, this is not not understanding that the, the purpose for which Jesus Christ came in the flesh, right? To embody human beings. Why? Because human beings are carriers, carriers of uh, at the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the carriers of Christ. And um, 
when we, when people don't know this, you guys, when people don't know who they are, it's very easy for us to be, to be, uh, sit in the judgment seat and actually be anti-gospel, anti-Christ, meaning be working against the purposes of God with not even realizing that we're doing it. And so I want to propose that the Antichrist spirit is alive and well in the earth and has been since the Apostle John's time. And so this isn't, we're not having to wait for something to happen for the Antichrist to appear. The Antichrist spirit is already here and it is opposing the gospel. It is opposing the preaching of Jesus coming in the flesh. It is opposing... Uh, uh, the love of God and the, the character of God being revealed and, and flowing through the church. It is anti the image of Jesus being formed in, uh, in us so that the goodness of God and the kindness of God is leading people to repentance. It's so that, that people know that they are loved by God through the very people that claim to represent him. And so anything that is anti love, and I mean the love of God. And what kind of love of God is that? It, is that? It's agape love. It's love that isn't deserved. <laughs> it's unmerited favor. It's the, the grace of God being extended to people who do not deserve it. And guess what? We could all raise our hands, right? Because the standard is perfection. Righteousness standard is perfection. And so if we are going to be under the law and have a righteousness apart from Jesus, well, we better have perfection under the right and wrong tree, right? Which none of us do. So we need to, honestly, we need to take a, a, an inventory of ourselves and recognize that it is with humility that we represent Jesus. And yes, if we get angry, we are angry against the things that are holding people in bondage. And we aren't necessarily trying to legislate goodness in people, but we are here to love people into wholeness and, and, and introduce them to Jesus through an encounter with Jesus, which is a miraculous encounter that demonstrates the love of God by healing the brokenhearted, ministering healing to sick people and demonstrating the love of God through uh, through our lives. So I pray you guys that we, we've wrapped this up with a really good, pretty bow today in a way that, that ties it all together. I know each episode was a little bit different, but in the end, love never fails. Love always wins. You know, on my personal Facebook page, I have this unconditional love heals uh, statement at the top of my banner, because I will tell you in my own life, and if you're really honest, I know that this is true for all of us. It has been the unconditional love of God and honestly, the unconditional love of the people that he put in my life that has healed my heart and transformed my life the most. When Jesus came to me in encounters and said, you know what, I know you see yourself as dirty and you are ashamed and you are in bondage, but I see you as a princess. I see you as royalty. You are my chosen. You are my child. I chose you before the, the foundation of the world. You are my wife. You are uh, the queen of heaven, right? We are the bride of Christ, that you are my body, that we are one, that I associate with you. I'm not ashamed to call you friend. I'm not ashamed to call you a uh, sister 
or brother. I'm not ashamed for you to be in my family, that I've reconciled you to the Father, that we are now one, not because of anything that you did, but because you are worthy of our love. And we decided that you're worthy and that we've called you innocent. We've taken the stain of sin. We've extracted it from your, your very being. Your spirit is pure. You're, you have been made one. You've been recreated in Christ and you are accepted in the beloved and you have been before the foundation of the world. You were in Christ before you were born. We shaped you in your mother's womb and, and we love you. We accept you and we accept you apart from your performance. You aren't performing for our love. You are loved because you're our child. You're, you're our idea. And we will never leave you. We will never forsake you. We won't, we aren't with you when you are acting good and abandoning you when you're acting bad. No, our love is unchangeable. It's, it's, it's absolutely eternal. We've loved you with an everlasting love and nothing you can do will change who we are. And we are perfect love. And as you, as you get perfected in this love, beloved, guess what? You will, you will be conformed to the image of love as you receive the love of God, as you receive the forgiveness of God, as you receive this, this unmerited favor and this, this, this kindness and this gentleness and this mercy that is overwhelming and, and so good. And we all have experienced it, you guys. It's, it's, if you've been with Jesus for five minutes, you know his character, you know his nature, and you are drawn to him. You're drawn to his safety. You're drawn to this place where, where you know that you can, you can share what you're struggling with without being turned away. Um, and if you don't know that, then that's why you need to hear the gospel. You need to be placed in, in relationship with people that will love you no matter what, that will love you regardless if you fall or if you stumble, that they will gently restore you into the place of your true identity and walk with you. Uh, in humility, understanding that we all need the mercy of God. We all need the love of God. And when you do that, even as I'm talking about it, you guys, I can feel the presence of God so strong. Why? Because this message is what overcomes. It's, it's the message that overcomes uh, the world. I mean, I remember sitting one time, I got pulled out of a service. This was when I was on staff at a very large church here in Chicago. And sometimes people would come get me because there would be like a disruption. There might be someone who was demon oppressed that had stepped into church. There were witches that would come to this church. It was a very, very powerful church with the move of God every Sunday. And I remember getting a tap on my shoulder and someone coming to me and saying, hey, they called me Minister Shalise. Minister Shalise, we have a situation. And I remember going in the back room and there was a woman crouched in the corner. I mean, uh, she had been like just throwing these altar, these men, these ushers around, but she was crouched in the corner and her voice was screaming out of her, she's a baby killer and screaming. And I remember asking the Holy Spirit what to do. And he said, just get down on the floor and hug her, love her. And you know, when someone's in that kind of space, you think, wow, this might be dangerous. I mean, she's just been throwing these guys around like they were nothing. But the spirit of God was there. And I remember getting on my, all four of my hands and knees and crawling over to her and just holding her. And the love of God set this woman free. You guys, I mean, I know this is radical, but I mean, this means instead of protesting homelessness, I mean, what if we just went and started hugging homeless people with the love of God? What if, you know, instead of protesting all of these things that we're protesting, what if we just started hugging everything, hugging the people? What if we just started overcoming evil with good? I mean, there is a move of God. We want revival. We want sustained revival, guys. And the way that, that, that that's going to happen is with the love of God.
um, I have my team and I've had my students and my clients reading a book by Rick Warner called The Final Quest. Rick Warner, not Rick Warner. Uh, Rick Joyner. <laughs> it rhymes. Rick Joyner, The Final Quest. And it's a very powerful book about the way the enemy uses the church against itself. And if you haven't read that, the Holy Spirit had me pick that up recently. I really encourage you to pick that up. Um, another book that I have um, people in my, uh, that are in our team and the, on our team and the, in our students and our tribe reading is a book by Tommy Miller called Deathless, right? If you really want some crazy revelation about who Jesus is and the victory that I've had, he's had. And I mean, it will, it will, it will blow your mind. Like it will blow your mind. Uh, I'm not even going to go into a lot about it on this uh, podcast today. I probably will be doing some podcasts on it. Um, but right now I can just recommend the book to you. And then I guess the last thing I want to do is I want to ex uh, get you excited about the coming podcast series. Uh, we're going to be starting a new uh, podcast series. Uh, I'm doing a word of the week on Friday of this week. For those of you that are watching live, it'll come out on the podcast whenever it comes back. It'll be the word of the month for July. Uh, and then um, I'm not sure that we're doing it. It'll be a couple of weeks, but we're starting a new podcast series called Miracle School. And so in Miracle School, we're going to dive deeper into signs and wonders. We're going to dive into the reality that the supernatural is taught uh, and caught. And uh, I think it's really going to bless you. Uh, but remember, you guys, that all of it, all of it is undergirded and, and compelled by love. So be loving to yourself, be loving to your neighbor, and uh, let's just cut this antichrist spirit off at the knees by recognizing that love never fails. All right. I love you guys. Have a blessed and supernatural week, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Shalisa's podcast. This recording is, in part, made possible by our listeners. To partner with us, visit Shalise.com, where you can donate and help us spread the good news of our unshakable union with Christ around the globe. You can also find a link there to download Shalise's book, The Path, for free. And if you're ready to discover the call of God on your life and the purpose he created you for, then visit us at Shalice.com and watch Shalice's free training where you'll hear five keys to hearing God about your life purpose and transitioning into it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, don't forget, the world needs the Christ in you.